Get ready for non-stop action. Get ready for non-stop excitement. They're doing the job possibly nobody wants. Watching every canon film and analyzing them. To death. Frank Garcia Hale. Jeff Garlock in The Canon Canon. I have the power? Welcome to The Canon Canon. My name is Jeff Garlock. And I'm Frank Garcia Hale. And today, we both have a fantastic guest, and I'm not going to say a fantastic movie, but a movie that I am very excited about. Uh, Today on the pod, uh, we have Griffin Newman from The Tick. Yeah, I started with The Tick. From Blake Check Pod. From the George Lucas Talk Show. And most importantly, from UCB New York's uh, one of their last house sketch teams, Nipsey. Yes. <laughs> Griffin, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. I do. It does feel like I'm I'm clocking this now, but I feel like maybe Nipsey, which which you directed for yes. a while, and Frank, you directed at least one of our shows. Yep, yep. Uh, both of you directed the team at different points. That might have been the last team ever to graduate off of Mod Night. Like, we might have been the last team ever to go from the mod oh, sketch night to having... I am so sorry to take this slot. away from you, buddy. Really? There is a team that got graduated, but pretty much then the <laughs> pandemic happened. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think it was a team called the Foundation. They might yes. have only... Oh, right. it, okay. it, but I think they were only able to do, like, one, maybe two shows. Yeah. And then it was like, sorry, yes, <laughs> the I world is terrible. One. I know. I'm so sorry okay. to take that away No, no, from no, you. it's fine. Because I also, like... I was close to the other honorific, which is uh, I I did a one man Watto show as like a spinoff of the George <laughs> Lucas talk show. What used to be a live UCB show with right. Connor Ratliff playing George Lucas and me playing Watto, the toy Darian. And <laughs> he was gone for a month. So I said, can I use our monthly slot and do Watto's like one man review? <laughs> which was I rewrote like Broadway songs to be about Watto. Of course. <laughs> and. Right. And that was like my big like this is going to be my big creative project for the year. Uh, and I did it, I believe, the the second to last Friday the UCB New York was ever open. It was <sighs> oh like boy. that Friday was March 6th and then it was closed by the following Friday for good. And I was like, mm. I was so close to being like the last show there ever. Yeah. Oh, you know, that would have yeah. been I was I was been in great. that like. The last 10, I was close to being on the last team ever. Like, I can almost lay claim to, like, I shut down the UCB. Like, I yeah. did all the final. Yeah. Griffin Newman almost shut down UCB. That's your right. main credit. Uh, That's my main credit. what yeah. I'm taking. Uh, yeah. So, Griffin, today we have you on. I didn't even use this credit. I'll get to it in a second. Today we have you on to talk about... 1987's canon film Masters of the Universe, which I'll say too, I did not even realize until like 10 minutes before we got on here that you are going to be playing Orko in an upcoming Masters of the Universe. This is not why we had you on. We have you on because you're a wonderful friend and you would be a wonderful guest. And I didn't know this is why you picked Masters of the Universe, but it all You sent me a long list, and I immediately (laughs) said the one I would want to do is Masters of the Universe, which partially is because it's it's a little personal for me now, but also this is the movie I would have picked irregardless. Yes, the the two 
that you offered was that and going bananas. Start Tom right. Tell Weeks. Oh, right. <laughs> and I, I almost was like, got a text frag. Like, I could have guessed these are the two. <laughs> like, yes. knowing you. Um, going bananas, for the record, I have not seen. And there are other films on that list I had seen, but I sure. said, there's no chance I don't love this. Like, looking yes. at the poster for it. <laughs> yes. It's one of the boxes. I, I never watched it either. I'm excited for yeah. when we finally watch it, yeah. but I know the ins and outs well. of that box so well. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, but I'm excited that you chose Masters of the Universe. Um, uh, uh, so... You know, to to start this off, before we even get into Masters of the Universe, first off, like what was you know growing up? You're a little bit yeah. younger than I am, a little bit younger yes. than Frankie Boy. Uh, what was your relationship with both canon films and you know renting movies, uh, watching movies as a child? Yeah, I was a big uh, video store kid because movies were. And still are one of the only things I care about. Right. Uh, there was a video store uh, directly across the street from us. I grew up in New York City. And so it was like one of the first places I was allowed to go to by myself. Because it was truly there was like a side exit of uh, my apartment building. And that door was directly parallel with where the uh the video store was on the side street so my okay. parents could like look out the window even <laughs> if they were on the 11th floor and see me frogger style going there and going back you know and making sure i wasn't being truant or whatever right um so couch potato video was like a big big deal went there a lot wait that's what and it was called couch potato video great it was called couch potato video it was great and they had like a little mascot they had a cartoon of like a, a couch on a potato with a clicker watching the TV, which I found very charming. And it wasn't like a Mr. Potato Head potato. It was like a real like lumpy, right. you know, it wait, had wait. the eyes it on it. It was the couch yeah. on the potato? No, it was a potato on a couch. <laughs> okay. I love Sorry. it as well. No, no, no. But Sorry. I'm also now picturing... Uh, already, uh, Eddie Cannon has out there. If you want to do yeah. a graphic of a couch sitting on a potato for yes. this alternate universe, I would love it. Yeah. But no, I guess this was more of a couched potato. Now it was a I potato yes. that is relegated to the couch. <laughs> um, but I went there a lot. It was pretty small. Like it was very much. It was densely packed, mm -hmm. but it was small. And I, I remember because, like, as the DVD transition was happening. There being that thing of like, they have the one DVD sliver. Like it was a big right. deal. You know, there was like one DVD shelf. And then when the DVD took over to like the new release section, what used to be that whole wall of new releases for VHSs is now DVDs. Yeah. And, you know, the new release VHSs are next to that. And then I feel like they didn't really survive that transition super well. I feel like they went under before peak dvd takeover happened right but that was also because another video store opened that was one block away so this was directly across the street for me and then this other video store opened that was one avenue over uh called tla video which i right. believe was a chain from philadelphia originally which is like a very big cult chain they were known for being one of the first places to like have a real emphasis on gay and lesbian film mm -hmm. and i think also corner the market on porn in philadelphia Mm -hmm. Now we see a true winner emerging. <laughs> right. So they opened and they were like huge. It was like they found this weird space. It was uh, uh, I don't I can't imagine what it used to be before that, although I'm sure I knew at the time 
it has since been replaced by like uh, like a city MD. It was like <laughs> yeah, this very right. like industrial space. It was like high ceilings, like it looked like a warehouse. You know, it doesn't right. look like a business place. And they were just humongous. And they were one of those places that just had everything yeah. and like deep cuts and even I feel like some bootleggy type stuff. Like it was a little Kim's video right. adjacent. So I was just gonna thinking, yeah. Totally. And they also, because like my podcast Blank Check is we we pick a director and go through all of their movies mm-hmm. because my co-host and I are very into like filmographies and careers and tracking <laughs> the chronology of like, why did this person do this after that? <laughs> right. And I think a big reason I started thinking that way is TLA would organize things by director. They would have oh, wow. director shelves. And so there was a lot of me at like, in high school, as I was getting more and more into movies seriously, being like visualizing, having in front of me like, oh, Jonathan Demi did that and that. Like seeing the box from Married to the Mob and yeah. Silence of the Lambs next to each other. It's right. the gateway you need unless you've got right. someone guiding you to be like, it's that we've talked about before. It's like that moment when you realize there are directors yes. that actually have a body of work. It's not just movies right. are just made by anything. Right. But they also like, um, like actually a lot of UCB people worked there back in the day. Charlie Sanders used to work at TLA. Oh, really? And I think Bobby Moynihan might have worked there briefly as well. All of buffoons worked there. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Because yeah. I, I know Charlie worked there for a long time. And he was like a guy I interfaced with a bunch. And then years later when I was like, and I was seeing UCB shows and like, oh my God, I can't believe I get to rent videos from the guy from Buffoons. Because Buffoons was like my favorite UCB show for a couple of years. They were great. Uh, but, th- but then I feel like somewhere in the Bobby working at Pizzeria Uno rotation, <laughs> Charlie got him like a, a period moonlighting at, I just remember him briefly being there. But anyway, it was like a lot of cool people with good taste. Mm-hmm. So they had like an amazing employee recommendations wall. And they'd be really good at sort of like chain connecting. If you had rented this, have you seen this? Right. Like it had that sort of record store vibe of like really good discoveries. In addition to the director shelves, there were a lot of like, and I can't think of any specifics now, but like very specialized sub genre shelves. Right. Which was fun to be like, oh, this is a thing. Yeah. Like like 70s car exploitation movies or whatever it was. <laughs> right, right. And then having that sense of like what you're talking about, the the like video box culture. Yeah. Even at that point where it's a mashup of VHS and DVDs, because at the point that TLA is coming and VHSs are being punted, but TLA understands there are some things that are never going to be released on DVD. Yes. Yes. We still need to have 50% VHS at our store Yeah, because we need to be able to rent like uh, a Ron Howard's Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Like we <laughs> need to have that on our shelves right. somewhere. As well as for the creeps, like who are just like, I'm going to rent I Spit on Your Grave. Yes. Like, and right. I need the giant box VHS version because it's going to take a while yes. for William Lustig or whoever it is to release it on like Blue Underground or like, you know, right. the equivalent of. That's also like a key bit of knowledge I wish people in general would realize now. Yes. Like this yeah. idea of just like we can get everything. And it's just like, no, like we are going to lose like so much fantastic stuff that's like buried in like was on VHS, never going to see it again. Yeah, we yeah. I mean, we we just did an, uh, a, an episode on uh, aliens for Blank Check. Mm-hmm. And what we wanted to do was do an episode 
we had done a James Cameron miniseries and then we're doing aliens commentaries on our Patreon. So we were like, how do we mix it up? Because it's our second time covering this movie and it's the one in the franchise we've already done on the main feed and whatever. So we were like, this time, let's just do special edition. And we found out you cannot watch the special edition anywhere online now. Crazy. And it's that's like a recent shift. Like, I feel like six months ago, you could watch the special edition and you couldn't watch the theatrical. And I now mean, you even can't for rent it anywhere, movie. you can't stream it, you can't buy it. This movie's not streaming anywhere. And you it was streaming it. like two weeks ago, but now totally. I'm like, will it ever be up again? Like, it I mean, just might not. You can't watch To Live and Die in LA. Like, and like, if we're going to say yes. like the good movies, quote unquote, like right. that's a great movie. And it literally, right. it's just like, I've spent so much time trying to figure out yeah. how to see that movie. Like Randa, like Miracle Mile. I can't see right. that anywhere. Like you could just keep going the list and it's like, deciding on if these companies have decided to package them together. We were just talking about this off air, like me and Frank, like, and then just be like, fuck it. We're taking it off. Uh, There is so much like that. And it really, and and it, it, it it drives me, it drives me up a wall as a completist where I'm like, totally, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch Leviathan, Mm. Deep Star Six and uh, the Abyss. Yeah. And then it's like, wait, I can't find the Abyss anywhere like this is killing me the abyss was never released on blu-ray it has not been available to rent weird on any online service ever it only sometimes appears on like certain streaming services like hbo will get it periodically and it was Mm. like for the first like six weeks after hbo max launched the abyss special edition was on there like in a good quality version and then it's back into yeah, yeah. Now. Like it does. I exist. had it saved, and then I I didn't get yeah. to it in time. And also, it's when you buy it digitally, you don't own it. You no. own the license no. for it, and sometimes it right. can just disappear from your like if it's just in your cloud. Yeah, uh, you may not have access to it anymore, even after you buy it, because it's not yeah. the physical it's, thing. It is definitely one it's of crazy. my most yeah. old man arguments that I sound I, like a crazy person oh. to millennials, where it's just like you don't understand. We are losing <laughs> cinema. Because I can't watch this random giallo. Like, I'm spending two weeks yes. trying to find the house with the laughing windows to rewatch it. Shit like that, you know? Well, and I also feel like even though everything wasn't getting released, there was a golden age of, like, especially for weird cult movies mm-hmm. or, like, you know, big cult movies where it's just, like, there were multiple releases. Yeah. Either you'd get a comprehensive box set that had every version of it, or you could be like a super nerd and have the four different versions because like <laughs> this one has the commentary, but this one has a better yes. transfer or whatever. Yeah. Like there were so many options, even if it required more consumption. Yeah. And now it's just like you get what you get and you fuck deal. You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. There was a yeah, there was a pair was like, I cannot look at another version of Halloween. Like right. that maybe is like right. has a new ten minute feature. I'll watch once. Right, just like Anchor Bay, like dipping Ugh. for the fifteenth time. Yes, it's just like, oh, guys, we have the license for two more weeks. We should right. bang out something. Uh, how about uh, Wes Craven's farting into an audio track? <laughs> like, good right. enough, right. and I'd buy it. But whatever. Um, right, like I still have. I think that Anchor Bay Dawn of the Dead set that's like five discs and has every conceivable different cut of it. I wish I yep. could have pulled it out. Like I have it sitting in a, in my house. Yeah, right. And there's this part of me that's like, I know they've already released it on Blu-ray like five times, but I will not do it because I won't replace this box until yeah. every option exists on high definition. Yeah, exactly. Like every it's the same version with- of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the same with the Star Wars releases when they did the yes. DVD release in the early was it late nineties, early aughts, where it had the original and then the mm-hmm. the the you know the redone special edition. It whatever. was like yeah, mid two thousands. It was like right before Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, yeah. right. And I yeah. I still own those because I'm like that's the only place you can get really the original, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the wild story about those? No, I don't think so. So I'm all about this theory, which. David Sims and I on Blank Check disagree on, and Connor Ratliff <laughs> and I on George Lucas Talk Show agree on. Two shows that both stemmed out of Star Wars obsessiveness. Right. But there's a theory that I completely buy into that one of the reasons, you know, I believe that George Lucas is a perfectionist, that he views Star Wars as being incorrect, that he's a guy where a lot of the things we love about the movie are accidental and he doesn't care if people have liked (laughs) them because he views them as blights on his original bad ideas, you know? But He could um, use a good therapist to weed through the subconscious problems that are ruining his life, but yes, go. (laughs) Well, this is the other part of it, is that there's a very popular theory that one of the reasons why he is so staunch about, like, these are the only versions that exist, I don't want the original versions to the extent that, like, uh, uh, the National Film Registry at the Library of Congress when they wanted to induct Star Wars. He was like, here are beautiful 35 millimeter prints of the 1997 special edition. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> right. And they were like, that's not what we want. And he's like, sorry, the other versions don't exist. Like the guy who's kept every fucking like frame yes. of everything he's ever shot, every prop claims that they don't exist anymore, is that his ex-wife, Marsha Lucas, edited the three original Star Wars movies and the special editions changed the edits so she's no longer entitled to residuals. Uh, and oh. those those three releases they did in 2004 where it was two disc set and yep. for the first time ever like the original versions were on it, it was very clearly marketed as they're only on sale for 3 months. They did no restoration to the original versions. They literally just took the the laser discs and put them on a DVD full screen. <laughs> so it's a full screen image with the letterboxing baked into it, non-anamorphic, right? And they were like, it's not a release of the original films. These are a special feature. The second disc is marked yep. as special features and under a special features heading, it's original alternate versions because that way she he doesn't have to pay her to the same degree as if it was released as its own version and he labeled it the she ruined my life cut yes uh the i can't get over this i mean i i'll i'll stand i like this theory because it 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 goes with my theory that most human beings are petty uh and that you know why even like i was re-watching the social network the other day because i'm like reading you know that that new New Yorker book about, uh, you know, kind of the alt-right and the generating mm-hmm. and how social media is just completely destroyed and it's off of the algorithm that they originally made. But it's just like, yeah, Sorkin, you know, Sorkin, Sorkin. Hey, man, that guy, yeah. it's half and half with that guy. But the reason I like, so, like the social network is I don't care if it's true that of the story, but like the basic theme of... We do everything because we're petty. We do everything right. because, and yep. we don't completely realize it, but right. you get a lot of money, you get not a lot of money. We're all petty human beings, and none of us yeah. want to work on ourselves, uh, and George Lucas is the ultimate sign of that. Right, because like I feel like the real Zuckerberg is always saying, like, that movie is such bullshit as evidence. Like, Erica Albright's an invented character. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't have that sort of breakup. I was already dating my now wife at the time, and it's like, 
But dude, you can dispute the little details. Yeah. He got at the fundamental truths. Yeah. Like, you know he yeah. did. It's like, cool, like, something he made it. else happened. Right. Like, <laughs> like, it's more narratively concise to be like, it was one girl who broke him and everything was revenge against yeah. that one girl. But, <laughs> come it's on. why like, I love in the big short that one scene where uh, the two young uh, hedge fund guys or whatever are yeah. in the and they're just like and they look at the camera just like none of this happened. And it's right. like, yes, that why I love why I end up really liking that movie more than I maybe would have is that scene saying of just like, hey, man, like we're telling you a basic human trait. It's not about right. the fucking facts. And like, also, you don't want to see eight meetings where we get rejected before the one. Oh, right. Where it you works. know how like, boring business is? Right. Like, right. it is so unbelievably boring. There's a yes. reason you people aren't business people. Like, yes. Um, yes. And the reason you're not hedge fund people, because you yes. can't fucking right. deal with that. Uh, me included. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I love this theory. Even more so, I love that we can talk about Segway, Masters of the Universe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because the two are tied, I believe. Uh, yes. Star Wars and yeah. Masters. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Jesus, wow, yeah. sir, it really are. And also, uh, we'll get into it, uh, they are tied now, like, thinking in terms of, like, the hubris behind it. The hubris yeah. behind making this version of Masters of the Universe, which is always a part of canon, is the hubris behind the films that they make. Um, right. uh, but, so, yeah, uh, uh, Frankie, this is 1987. Do we have the, have we done an 87 in we have lot. done 87 before, but just to kind of refresh, um, so this came out uh, August 7th, 1987. Uh, it was directed by Gary Goddard, uh, <laughs> written by David O'Dell. Uh, the budget for it was $22 million and it made $17 million worldwide. Wow. And uh, <laughs> these were the top 10 movies of 1987, according to Box Office Mojo. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Platoon, Fatal Attraction, The Untouchables, Three Men and a Baby, The Secret of My Success, Stakeout, Lethal Weapon, The Witches of Eastwick, and Predator. Oh, so where did this end up? Actually, not too bad uh, compared to other canon films. Yep. Uh, 65th place. Okay. Actually, so, isn't too bad compared to most canon right. I mean, th- this is like, I guess, one of the higher grossing late canons, but also one of the more expensive late canons. Yeah, Absolutely. And, yeah, somehow one right. of the highest grossing of late canons and also one of the three to destroy the company right. financially. So this, my, my sense of the, this film's legacy within the canon story is that this was them trying to level up, like going all oh, yeah. in big poker yeah. bluff of just like, can we get out of like the ghetto of weird, mm-hmm. like niche cold thing and and have our breakthrough? Yeah. And this kind it, of was like one of the things that finally ankled them, right? It was going to be the thing that, uh, that paved the way for them to do Spider-Man. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there were 11 other canon films that were released Jeez. this year. Ah, uh, my baby. I love you, canon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the close, like, uh, in the lineup, it beat other canon films over the top, Superman 4. Those were, like, the closest to it that okay. it beat that were other canon films. Yeah. But yeah. 
which is totally great because it shares a basically a main theme song along with Superman. Uh, Jesus so Christ! Good going <laughs> and good wow. going mess of the universe. They <laughs> they just totally rip off John Williams' score uh, from multiple movies, not just Star Wars or Superman. Yes, it's I know. Literally... I'm always talking about my wife being basically our, our third co-host here because she watches <laughs> these reading a book. But uh-huh. I mean, it took about two seconds for her to just look up and go, "That's uh, that's the Superman theme song, right?" And I was you, like, "You, know you got was... it." What was wildest for me was like, uh, I'm very much a person who's like, time to watch this movie, put the Blu-ray in, and then it takes me 45 minutes to actually start watching. So I I live for like 45 minutes in my apartment listening to whatever the menu music is. So I was hearing that score and I was just like, man, this is so derivative. Like it's like I was picking out all the pieces. Like what hack did they hire to just like, you know, rewrite some temp score? And then as I started the movie, Bill Conti. Uh, Bill Conti. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. like, like Bill Conti. I mean, right, and then <laughs> it's also like I just kept paying attention, and it's like most of the above the line people on this movie are humongous. Anne V. Coates, the editor of Lawrence of Arabia, yes. right? like Academy Award winner, edited this movie. It's uh, Richard Edlund, who was like top of his game visual effects yeah. at that time, was like yep. the defector from ILM who started Boss Film, which was essentially the second major visual effects company mm-hmm. ever. Like every William David Stout Odell. was like a big deal. David yes. Odell wrote in the Muppet Show, Muppet Movie, yeah. Labyrinth, yeah. Monsters, Dark Crystal, Dark yeah. Crystal, <laughs> like, and then you know Gary Goddard, alleged pedophile, alleged and like pedophile yeah. and master of the Dark Ride. Yes, right. If we're going blank the- check style, if we were watching yeah. his filmography, we would yeah. have to hunt down some crazy YouTube like ride like I watch yes. with my child because we can't go to Disneyland because the world is destroyed. So we'll right. watch the Frozen ride on YouTube. This <laughs> is the the only movie he ever directed. He was like a local theater guy who then became a national theater guy who then became like a children's TV guy. And yeah, his he big created Captain Power. Exactly. Oh. Captain Power, which was the a TV show where you had to buy action figures that responded to lights on the screen. Yep. Right. I had one of those. Yeah. That was like his big thing, I think, for Mattel. And then that got him in there so that they gave him this movie. Yep. And then after this, he just becomes like a a, a theatrical experience guy and a, a theme park guy. Yeah. So he like only ever directs like 4D movies. <laughs> he like works as a consultant for theme parks if they're like, how do we sell this illusion? Or he mm-hmm. worked on like Broadway plays or like concerts or whatever where they were like, I need a a, a gimmick where this looks like it's this or I can <laughs> right. change into this costume really quickly. And he's one of these guys who like silently has just made millions of millions of dollars in Hollywood while ostensibly, uh, seemingly, allegedly uh, being involved in one of the biggest pedophilic cults. Uh, in Hollywood, yes. which Woof. it's one of these things, not that we need to go down this corridor, but it makes me so angry when the QAnon people are on their bullshit, adding Chrissy Teigen to like fucking Epstein flight logs and accusing yeah. her of drinking blood when it's like, it's right there. We this have is the guy. literally stuff that is, there's evidence, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, no, the, I, the actual I, stuff that's happening, they don't want any part of it. They want to... Goddard, Brian Singer, like, yeah. the, just, like this shit is so lined Literally up. what's happening at our border, too. Whatever. Yeah. I yeah, saw some it, bullshit, it. right like, there. some bullshit wannabe, like Fox pundit, like t- trying to be Twitter star who was making some like like it was a photo of Biden holding pizzas 
And it all yeah. it said was like, interesting. And even that, I was like, you really think if this crazy idea of yours was true, that they would still be using pizza as a code, especially when all you got to do is watch Masters of the fucking Universe or yes. literally the X-Men franchise. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's like one of the biggest franchises ever. You know, uh, it's, it's not like hiding. It's it. not even hiding in plain sight. It's just right. in plain sight. Right. There are like so many like, you know, under fives or like even non-speaking featured extras across the X-Men films where you're like, hmm, they all seem to fit into this one physical type. Oh, and yeah. then you find how many of them accused Brian Singer of sexual assault, where it's like, this was a 17-year-old with no film credits who suddenly was playing a canon Marvel character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, between Pirates and this one, we're really <laughs> doing oh, up yeah. canon right, baby. Right. The Goddard, uh, the Goddard thing is fucking weird, and that was my only hesitation in covering sure. this movie. But right. I also feel like if we're explaining all of this, yeah, then yeah. it's very clear that we're not pro-Goddard. And it's also not like we're going to talk about how this movie's a masterpiece. No, exactly. I mean, because that's the yeah. other part. Like, so this movie came out in 87. I was 11. I saw it in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask both of you, like, you know, because I know for me, like, obviously you're playing Orko. You, you're well aware of the franchise. But, like, for me, that was my brand, like, yeah. I was a Masters of the Universe kid. I was obsessed. Yeah. I didn't like toys that didn't do things. So mm-hmm. I didn't give a fuck about G.I. Joe's. There, I was a lonely child playing by myself most of the time. Yeah. Uh, so if it didn't have a special feature, I didn't care. Masters of the Universe had a lot of special features. But so then my aunt took me to see it in the theater. And, you know, it's got to take a lot to make an 11-year-old go, hey, now. Yes. This isn't a good movie. <laughs> and this was one of the first. Uh, I mean, did you both, were you into Masters growing up? I'll go Do you want to take this, Frank? Yeah. Yeah. yeah my I, answer's weird. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, I saw this movie in the theater too because I, it's weird. I have the weirdest memory uh, and I have the worst <laughs> memory, of course, yeah. too. But I uh, apparently was very, very into He-Man because I had all the toys uh, it supposedly it was one of the cartoons I watched all the fucking time as mm-hmm. a kid, and I watched a lot, a lot, a lot of TV. I mean, sure. it was you know a single mother raising me, working a lot, and you know I stayed with family, and you know TV was my babysitter. It was like one of those types of things. But I uh, and I told the story about uh, on here before where my mom took me to see the movie before she did the night shift at work. And she was like, how long is this movie? Uh, like, you know, like pissed off because yeah. she had to be late for work. Yep. She had to take her son to see Masters of the Universe. Because uh, Langella even... has another monologue. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Just one more, baby. Let him fit it in. But Yeah, but I was a, apparently a huge He-Man fan, but uh, recently because they've, they've re-released it, you know, all the cartoons and stuff on yeah. Hulu, I think, or yeah. uh, Netflix, uh, I can't remember which one it's on, but I, I rewatched it and I even reading about it. I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Really? Ghostbusters. I do like, cause I was sure, a big yeah. Ghostbusters kid too. But like, I remember more from that animated series, but all these animated series that are out now that I watched in the eighties that I'm showing my daughter now, I'm like, I don't remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. I mean, but you've I, been, I was though, consistently fan. Ghostbusters, though. I think that might be the difference. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. Like, you've still it, been kind of maintaining, so, like, your brain is spongy to remember some of those factors of the so. real Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah, because 
and I'm just lucky that I I don't I'm a pack rat and I don't throw anything out. So like right. I go home, I still have my giant sack of Masters of the Universe figures. Oh yeah, me too. I want to play with them. I could go nuts right now. Uh, it's it's yeah. the best toy line of all time. I yes. I contend that as a it big really toy is nerd, that yeah. it kind of is the peak. And I think the key to that also is it's just like. There's a good documentary, I think, still on Netflix. And then there's also the show called The, the Toys, Toys That Made that Us made that has us, an episode yeah. oh, on yeah. it. And they so all good. explain it. And it's like Masters of the Universe came out of Mattel feeling like they were behind the eight ball. Yeah. That like everyone had sort of passed them. Star Wars had gotten big, like G.I. Joe, like all these things. And they were like way behind with boys toys. And they sort of just said like, what's everything a little boy would like? Right. And it's just like, let's build our own mythology from scratch, make it seem like it's really important. But the the weird mashup nature of it that you have like sorcery and magic, but also technology, Mm -hmm. you know, that you have like dinosaurs, but also like dragons and monsters and like. (laughs) They're just pulling from fucking everything. And it's just like so colorful, so varied. And they all do cool shit. Yeah. And like the cool action figures they have are baked into their identity because they're created that way. It's like, what would be a cool thing that we know we could engineer a toy to do Mm -hmm. and then make that the character's defining thing rather than most action figures where it was like, this is a poor approximation of what the character does on screen. (laughs) Right. Yep. Right. Which is the... I know also, though, like, and this is where we're like, you know, I, I don't want us to sound like when we really get in a movie, like, three man-childs complaining about, which is, oh, yeah. you no. know, essentially, to to be completely angry about this movie is being angry that this unbelievably test-marketed toy yes. uh, that yeah. was only created, as you just said, Griffin, to basically be like, all right, this checks off every box as a little boy and has a cartoon series attached to it, which is kind of put together. Uh, you yeah. know, it's the same feeling I had when I first was angry about the Michael Bay Transformers and then was just like, sure. wait a second, I am angry at capitalism. It yes. started as capitalism. It's not like this was my youth was like Absolutely. this rich mythology but yeah. the fact of what you just said ends up being my biggest problem with this movie is that this movie's the wrong kind of silly. They fucked oh, yeah. the mythology. They said fuck you yes. to the mythology. Right. And uh, you know, beyond that Gary Goddard is a monster, yes. that he ultimately like watching it it made me realize one of the things that is like when a toy line slash superhero movie works now is when the original one the initial entry point and you can maybe veer up but the, when the initial entry point honors whatever is the mythology that is it yes if you don't like yes. it i don't know what to tell you because that's how it works that's how iron man works that's how the avengers right. work i didn't grow up liking the avengers i didn't care but like at least it's following what it is versus yeah. this movie the entire time and i think it's how i felt as a child immediately was just like, this is not what I signed up for. That's the big thing. It's like not delivering what its target audience wants. And it's in that era of like adaptations of very popular children's entertainment that seem to be embarrassed by the thing they're adapting. Right. Yeah. Like they're trying so hard to make it less like the thing they own the rights to. Yes. It's so like weird. this guy. Sorry, Frank, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say, Griffin, because you were saying we were talking about our histories with it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What like what was your feeling? Like, what was your right. association so, with? So here's my weird thing. I'm younger than both of you guys. And I feel like separately, I bonded with each of you guys from like shared pop culture loves. 
But I was very much this kid who was like, and I think for it starts out being I was the first child. My mother was very overprotective and was like, uh, we were talking about this right before we started recording, but was like, I'm going to have my kid only eat health food. <laughs> and then it just blew up in her face. And I only ate frozen food. Right. <laughs> and she didn't want me watching any like modern TV shows by and large because she thought everything was too violent or too sarcastic. So, like, I'm born in the late 80s, and it's, like, early 90s, like, Simpsons and Ren and Stimpy and all this shit. And then also, like, X-Men cartoon, Batman cartoon, Power Rangers, all that stuff, Ninja Turtles, off the table for me, right? <laughs> so, I become a kid who's mostly watching old TV. Right. Because, uh, like, that was always cleared. So, I'm just, like, obsessive Hanna-Barbera, Looney Tunes, Muppet Show, like all these things that did have this anarchic, violent, you know, <laughs> cynical edge to them. But because it was older, it was OK. And I think it set this template because I was also somewhat disconnected in that I was watching older stuff rather than the current stuff I could relate to people on. I was always like kind of interested in something like 10 or 20 years earlier than <laughs> what was in vogue at that time. Right. So then when I was like you know, like 10 to 15, I was incredibly into like 80s pop culture. And especially I feel like 80s children pop culture. And there were the movies that like, Frank, you and I, when we like got to know each other, were like, oh, we both take Ghostbusters this seriously. Right. Gremlins and all this stuff where it was like, I saw those movies at a young age. They imprinted on me. I was just all in on them, especially because I wasn't getting all in on Independence Day or whatever. Right. Right. Um, but then Masters of the Universe falls into this weird thing of like right about the age where I'm like hitting puberty when I should be growing out of children's stuff. I instead I'm like, I'm going to collect every Garbage Pail Kid card. That series has been discontinued <laughs> for a decade. And that's my thing now is fine to find going to thrift stores that have Garbage Pail Kids. And that's when I get really into He-Man. It was like my first year at sleepaway camp when I was 12. There was an older counselor who was like a He-Man fanatic. And we had so many other nerd things that we both loved that he started getting me into He-Man. And then I was like, I am now like a 12-year-old He-Man fan in like <laughs> the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s. Right. Which was like the worst time. When no one cared but, but anymore. No one cared anymore. And then they did like a reboot that didn't really stick, but I yep. think was pretty good. There was a 2002 reboot, but I was like all in on that, buying those action figures in like middle school and high school watching the cartoon like way way into it but i also got into it at that like threshold where i was like this is half like a kitschy thing for me you know yeah like it's not nostalgia baked because i'm watching it for the first time at this age but um it's half kitschy and half that i just love like the unabashed silliness of it yes and it is a thing i take somewhat seriously but seriously in the you have to respect how bug nuts it is kind of way. <laughs> right. And and also that Masters of the Universe is this weird thing as I've like gotten deeper and deeper into it. And and playing Orko was very much a like, I am going to play Orko thing. <laughs> right. Like I like actively worked on it for a long time to get that role. And my agents were like, what are you doing? And I was like, this is the part. <laughs> this is everything. Because I had such strong feelings about it and everything. Um, but Masters of the Universe is one of those things where, like, the the canon of it, not to overuse that word <laughs> in a different uh, application, uh, like, does not line up at all. Like, there were the mini comics that came with the action yep. figures that mm -hmm. predated the cartoon, and those two things, like, completely negate each other. Yeah. 
Like they don't work together at all. The movie is its own thing. Then the 2000s reboots its own thing. There were like mainline comics published. Those are its own thing. Like in yep. different countries, there'd be radio serials and stuff. Like I've now like not read everything, but like become aware of what the whole tapestry is. And so it's not like one of these sacrosanct things where it's like, these are the fundamental tenets of the property and it always has to be this because it, selectively, depending on where you grew up and what you watched or read more of, it could mean different things to you. Right. But you have to embrace the basic ethos of the thing, which is it should feel like a little boy's dream. Yes. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. you want the wildness of it and you want that mashup sensibility and this feels like a movie that's so embarrassed to be itself. So I like... TLA is when I was getting more into like the cult Mondo stuff that I feel like you and I bonded over death. Yes. And this movie was like, I feel like in that transition period, a late couch potato rental for me mm -hmm. where couch potato was like me going through this entire small store and watching all the like the mainstream American <laughs> pop culture canon. Right. And that was a movie where like when at some point in my growing He-Man thing, I found out like, wait a second, there's a live action movie. It was like a big budget live action movie in the 80s. How could I not know about this? It must be great. Like I didn't have the understanding that like if I hadn't heard about it, it's for a reason. Yes. And so I was like astonished to like find it on the shelf at Couch Potato, which didn't have a deep stock. Right. And there was a pull quote on it that said the Star Wars of the 80s, yep. which ignoring the fact that two out of three of the original <laughs> Star Wars movies came out in the 80s, I was like, holy shit, there's this movie that's as good as Star Wars based on this thing that I'm now really into and I've never seen it. And I had that experience of like watching it as probably a 12 or 13 year old right. amped, like saying to my mom, like I was trying Masters of the Universe. You know, some people say it's the Star Wars of the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> and then watching it and going like, this is kind of a bummer. Yeah. And I've come to enjoy it as its own thing for what it is. But yeah. it does feel like fundamentally a pretty bad motu. Movie. I mean, on on both end where it's like, one, yeah, it it's beyond the nods to Star Wars and them trying to kind of force yeah. the characters into being uh Skeletor's Darth Vader, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh you know, like the that because what you said that it was essentially a manufactured capitalism experiment right. it yeah. even the cartoon it what you like it didn't have that epic hero quest honestly it kind of no, just doesn't no. exist one and then when i read like i had never seen this before but reading up on it that again fucking gary godard it's not bad enough like the yeah. terrible things you've done but also that he was very cockily like yeah, uh, I'm going to make this into Jack Kirby's New Gods, right. a series that no one really cares much about, but also is immediately just like, so you're doing the adaptation of a very popular series, and yeah. the, your literal first thought is, let me make it the exact thing it is not. Let me, if right. I, I don't, he's not Skeletor. He's Darth Vader in right. Dark Side. He is this and this. Yes. He's yep. merging them together. Yep. And like, and so yep. that is where, again, it's not this, it's both not a sacrosanct thing, but also, yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Like, if I'm watching this, and we should probably probably start getting getting into the movie, but yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, fucking, I'll jump right to the end just for one quick thing. 
you're making me wait for maybe an hour and 20 minutes for him to say I have the power? A thing that happens like maybe four, five times in an individual episode sometimes. It's also like, I understand to some degree, it's this is early in Dolph Lundgren's career. First first movie after Rocky IV. Right, right. So it's literally, right, (laughs) right. And exactly. So I understand that, but it's not even counting how much dialogue he has against other characters. I feel like He-Man doesn't even have that much screen time in this movie. He's not the main character of this movie. He is not. Maybe the fourth or fifth most important character. So when Courtney Cox is hugging him with this deep relationship she has with He-Man, it's like, (laughs) that is not true. Like, you might no. as well be hugging man-at-arms. Like, Jesus right. Christ. And, and yeah. here's, here's like, fundamentally the thing that is the wildest to me. And it speaks to just, like, everyone involved being like, oh, my God, we got the rights for He-Man. Now, how do we make it not He-Man? Gary got it. I got <laughs> hired to do a feature film. Now, how do I make it into something else? Yes. Like, everyone trying to avoid making a toy movie. Yes. And I feel like Dolph Lundgren's talked about this. Like at the time, everyone was like, if you do a toy movie, it will kill your career. Yeah. You will not only never become a serious actor, but you'll never be taken seriously as an adult action star. Right. Like you're just going to become like a silly, like children's character. I, but um, is this the though, movie is so embarrassed. I was just going to say, what is this say, why so? Frank Langella is like, even though he's got a billion monologues, is the one who's really going for it the most because he's yes. the only one who made my fucking black heart bump like uh you know yes. did oh, yeah. it for his four-year-old son because That's his it. four-year-old son runs around the house yelling what did i say you waited an hour and a half to say i have the power right no truly franklin jella had respect for it and this is the other thing like want to make this very clear that we're not doing the like actually if you look at it ghostbusters isn't even a comedy it's actually more of like a supernatural <laughs> adventure movie right. like we're not being these guys who are like you have to take the mythos seriously yes but <laughs> speaking about masters of the universe as a capitalist enterprise and that is what i like about it creatively yes! that it's so unabashedly like let's not apply story logic first let's apply story logic after we landed on all of the elements that have been focused grouped to death as being effective for the brain of a small child and that's like everything visually in the universe of He-Man is like, what what does He-Man ride on? Uh, well, he probably has some sort of steed. Battle Cat came out of a different toy line that was in a G.I. Yep. Joe scale. Right. And they were like, he rides the cat. And they were like, but these action figures are smaller. The cat's too big. Like, what do we do? And they're like, paint the cat green. Mm-hmm. We'll say it's a space cat. Like yep. everything, <laughs> like the decisions are all like that. And then we'll figure out why. We'll figure out what to call it. Yep. But it's like all the stories are like that. And it's the second. We have this like, mold of a figure to make He-Man himself. Like, and right. we'll just let everyone be the same body. Even again, as a right. 10-year-old, I was just like, they all have the same nipples. Like, that's fine. I'm fine with right. it. But, you know. Right. 80% of the characters in the He-Man toy line, which was so expansive, Oof. are based on the same, like, eight or nine parts in total. Like, yep. it was like, either you had the spiky arms or the non-spiky arms, the hairy chest yep. or the wax chest. And if you're going to appreciate the capitalism aspect, oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. It's the Taco Bell of toy lines. It's the Taco Bell toy lines. Perfectly said, Frank. And also, (laughs) it's like, that leads to them being like, how do we get maximum value out of this? How do we make it look different? Paint it in a really fucking wild color. Right. So you want a movie that's that colorful, that is that unabashed in like, the sky is purple, you know, like, Stinkor is black and white merman, like, all of this shit. 
uh, like even if it doesn't have to be like one to one, you want that sort of attitude. And the other thing is, this is the most fundamental disconnect for me. The key was, how do we make something that like really relates to little boys? And the thing <laughs> they came around to was this idea that like little kids are obsessed with power because they feel powerless. Yeah. And I have the power was like the thing that would feel most empowering for them to say. And they wanted a character who's telling them, I now have the power. And He-Man is a scrawny, like kind of wimpy kid, yep. even though he was bulked up because they want to reuse the same yes. mold in the same animation model. I always was weird. Prince a, Adam looked exactly the same as uh, He-Man right. in the figures. Right. Right. Paler complexion. Yes. <laughs> right. But the idea is like he's a sensitive young man yes. who is able to exclaim, I have the power and then become this superhero. And Prince Adam power, can't pull off it. a page boy haircut that well. He-Man can right. pull off a page boy yeah. haircut. <laughs> yeah, so it's just a, Shazam. It is just right. Shazam, so exactly. Right. There's a Shazam thing, which is so appealing to children, right? It's mm -hmm. like such a clear, like wish for fam fulfillment fantasy, like a child, you know, someone who is vulnerable becomes powerful and uses it for good and whatever. Uh, it's, it's Peter Parker in a way. It's yeah. all this shit. And this movie just ignores all of that, which is all the more perplexing because you have a lead actor playing He-Man who can't speak. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like, Literally. Right, so yeah. you're like, it, sh it should be a fucking movie with Prince Adam in it to completely remove that from the mythology when it's like, that's how Dolph Lundgren should be used, that it's the power up and then you get him in the scenes where he's fucking badass and fighting. Yeah. And instead you have He-Man also in a position where they're like, well, this guy can't carry like the emotional storyline. So I guess we got to build the movie around someone else. Right. <laughs> it's so on perplexing. Earth. On Earth. Right. And it's like in a small town. Right. Which That's immediately, even like, as a child, I was like, wait a second. Earth exists in the realm of right. Eternia. Like, again, every time I kept thinking 11 year old Jeff had these same exact thoughts. This is not revisionist history. Yeah. I was sitting right. there thinking, wait a second. That doesn't add up. I don't even get that logic. Uh, right. Because that is the thing. Like, the whole movie, I mean, one, if if we were Lights, Camera, Jackson, we would have thrown sure. in uh, Masters of Disappointing uh, because <laughs> that's what it is. But, you know, like, I, like Gary Goddard, beyond using the fucking New Gods as a uh, format for this, it essentially was sure. like, this movie is a list of don'ts. Because you just listed yeah. off so many things that immediately he was just like, yeah, that's what kids are going to want. Don't use that. Oh, Cringer. Right. We just talked about Cringer for a long time in Battle yeah. Cat. Should he have Cringer? No, don't use Cringer. No. Uh, no. We've got this amazing group of action figures. It's crazy. They all have individual deep, things. It deep is cat. so deep. I mean, ones that have shown yeah. up on one episode and we could, and they're still cool. Fistor, yeah. whatever it is. Moss yeah. Man. And then he was like, you know what? Don't use any of them. I'm going to start up new ones. Right. And that's the only part I can appreciate on a capitalistic level is that they were like, we can yeah. get five new extra action figures here, especially yeah. Sorad, who's in like one scene and then dies, but was my but favorite looks one. Awesome. Looks awesome. Absolutely. That's the best Absolutely. one. They really blew yeah. their right. load, money load on his makeup. And they were like, we totally. can't maintain this for multiple scenes. We got to get out of here. Right. Uh, it. And you're going to double down on card? Gotta, like, that's the one you're sort card, of making the baby. prominent one? I have yeah. made the best assassins you've ever met. Have you ever met Karg? He's just Karg. kind of a pain in the ass, and he's got a hook for a hand. 
He's got a little. Uh, he's a little guy with a boof on. Oh, he's got a big. Like, he looks like a Jeffrey Gagurian. Yeah. <laughs> it remi- yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I was Deep about cut. To say, Deep oh, cut. Hello, oh my god! Jeffrey. No, that is the perfect. Because I was gonna say like an Orange County like old lady. Yes. Yeah. But that 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 man Jeffrey that is such a perfect description. You're absolutely right. It's just wild, and everyone else like like Blade has like his electro whip and an eye patch and this chain of armor. Sauron's cool. Like a Sorod, rather, uh, and and fucking Beastman were like finally one of the ones from the toy line, but it's like in totality: Skeletor, Man at Arms, Tila, Beastman, Evil Lynn, Sorceress. There are six characters. And when I eleven year old Jeff again watching in a theater, and I'm like, I'm finally gonna see Triclops. I'm gonna right. see any options and every and even when Beastman comes out, you're like. Oh, the one who doesn't do anything? The one who has yeah. like a shitty whip that didn't really work that well, like as a figure. Right. And maybe the most egregious, and it speaks close home to you, buddy. Fucking Gwildor. What what's the deal here, man? No, no, don't put Orko in. The comic yeah. relief that we literally all love. Let's replace right. him yep. with a more annoying version of Orko. He's so similar in so many ways, except it's like he's visually unappealing yep. and they have yep. no prior relationship to him. Like it's just now a stranger they're stuck yes. with. Yeah. Kids love Billy Barty. If they there, there's one person we love, it's the one kid who saw UHF and Masters of the Universe. So let's get Billy <laughs> yeah. Barty in here. Right, but it's like this little like you know, troll with like skin tags and Ugh. jowls. Funky yeah. gills and like he's always sloppily eating. Uh right. oh, God. yeah, and that I think and and so that ends up being the like there is no what you said, there is no relationship. Between no. that, even the fact that that's the way they're they're they they hedge their bets on both sides. They're like, fuck it, right. we're we're not doing the mythology, we're gonna do our own thing. Yeah. But also, yeah. we are starting this movie into the story. Because yes. you're all going to accept that Skeletor and He-Man are rivals for years and forever. Right. Because right. we're telling you that. Like it's, there's zero it's, table setting of the universe to a new going universe. with Star yeah. Wars. It's Star Wars yes. Four: A New Hope. Right. We're starting at the, like the end of this story, but for Masters of the Universe, we want the first three. Like we want the rest. Yeah, we want totally. because like uh, what Skeletor says some line where he's just like, "We've been doing this for years. Like uh, it's always been right. me you want. It's always been between us." Like is what I think He Man yells them is like, "I must possess all, or I possess nothing." All these lines. Oh, yeah. Great lines. I love right. those lines. I mean, yeah. but it feels like Langella brought in his own writer or did punch up on his own dialogue because yeah. the Skeletor dialogue is just in a completely different class than everyone yep. else. Yeah. And I know a lot of it is like singer, not the song. He's like making a meal out of it. He respects it. He understands like there's no I'm above this. There's no embarrassness. And he's such an old pro. But it also is just like he's got fucking good little monologues yeah. in this yeah I, I dare anything i'm skeletor even that little bit but and i think that's I love the it. weird part is like all those monologues are awesome and he is yeah. great even though yeah. i also was like wow what an adr nightmare this movie must be because everyone oh, yeah. has to fucking do their lines over like we're doing a fucking italian neorealism film here right <laughs> because everyone has such crazy prosthetics and they've put it all into sarad's neck but they couldn't put say, it into- right also it's like can you imagine how loud everyone's costume oh was God. like any <laughs> actor shifting <laughs> 
<laughs> which is probably it looks why like, they had yes, to fully one of the like they're you know most loudly costumed movies in I mean, in both senses. Yeah, because Evelyn's costume supposedly like that her costume was uh, unbearable for her and she couldn't move around. Ugh. And that's why she never sits is because it was so yeah. cumbersome and like everybody's costume just looked like oh, like Tila's costume too. You're like, what is this like weird long john with a a, a leather thong? Like it's yeah. it's so everybody looks so uncomfortable and then just trying their best to like run around and I'll say with Tila also like I just want to say yeah. with Tila it, put it in the uh this is a running theme in the canon canon put it into uh Jeff's sexual awakenings Jeff yes yes, yes. Tila, but because yes. I also realized why I always recognize Tila is she plays the flight attendant in commando that has like oh, one wow. line is like sir you've got to sit down and he's just like i feel airsick like and she's got this like look on her face and even in that when i watched the movie i always would be like god I don't, i'm feeling like old young 10 year old sexual urges like like yeah. when i didn't understand what sex was i was like is it because it was tila this whole time mm-hmm. uh Maybe. it was just i found out she's also married to scott bacula oh whoa. what Oh Which boy! Is a cool couple. Wow. Yeah, uh, and then Evil Lynn, obviously, and this is Meg Foster from like They Live, who yeah. has like maybe you know the most striking eyes in the history of cinema. My wife, but hates the way her they eyes. have her made up—I uh, mean, they're unnerving. They're unnerving. Like they are unnerving, yes. and it's like on that level, you're like, man, great casting for Evil yep. Lynn. And then somehow the way they make her up makes her eyes look fake and thus negates their power totally yep. crazy because it's the only time it looks like she has context in, in any movie because you know that's the her crazy eyes in any carpenter yeah. movie etc uh right right i also say just because now we're on the you know handful of female actors in this movie uh yeah. one i didn't realize uh the the woman who plays courtney cox's mother is also yes. in uh the slasher film fade to black that just came they just uh, wow. 1986's fade to black about a movie fan uh who wrongs yeah. who k- kills his people who wronged him through movies uh which is oh, made yeah. for us but he pl- yeah. she plays a police officer and like while I was watching again I was like Lady looks damn familiar. Why is this happening? <laughs> oh no, Masters of the Universe again. Masters of the Universe. Uh, but this is getting to like, you know, Tila and Man at Arms, like two of the only prominent characters from the toys, from the comics, from the cartoons that kids would like at this point, who actually are given stuff to do in this movie. Both of them are gray. Like it's it's this bizarre yeah. thing where like Man at Arms costume looking at it, I'm like, that actually is a closer adaptation of the original design yes. than almost any other character in this movie, except they drain it of color. Yes. And Man oh, at yeah. Arms is like green and orange it's like this very striking like confident color palette of like fuck it we don't care we weren't a movie first taste is out the window (laughs) make the thing that's gonna pop most on the shelves of toys r us and then you're just like why is he gray why is tila gray tila has like snake armor and she's like white and gold and all this stuff like everyone is sort of just so dulled down and he-man not to like get too much into the fucking mythos of the whole thing but like the very simplistic version of it is like the the masters of the universe mythology is always based around who has control of castle grayskull right. and like the castle itself is sort of magical and contains the power you know whoever has that power controls the universe with all these insane creatures that live in it and whatever and so this whole idea that like prince adam is the prince his father's been defending that skeletor is like 
his father's enemy. Mm -hmm. It is often accepted that Skeletor was originally his uncle or perhaps his adopted uncle. There's a little bit of like a Hamlet thing there, you know? And that he's now absorbed this, but he has the secret identity. Because kids love the bar, Griffin. That's why. (laughs) They love the bar. But that he has found this sword, has gained access to the power that's in the castle, and so he can transform into He-Man. Very few people know he's He-Man, not even his parents. And he's sort of weaponizing his privilege to, like, defend others and keep the power in the right place. And that movie, the movie just disregards all of that, which is, like, there's a fundamental... Not, I mean, I'm going to tiptoe as much as I can here, but like, I, I've i heard a lot about, they've been trying to do a new live action He-Man movie for a while now. Yeah. Uh, it, for the last like 20 years, it's bounced from studio to studio, director, director, John Woo almost did it, like Joel yep. Silver had it for 10 years. And there's a version at Sony that's come like pretty close to happening with Noah Centineo <laughs> right. uh, that keeps on sort of like getting halted back. And I was like, it just feels like this is such a perfect time to do a big, unembarrassed live action He-Man. We movie. talked about that in the like, Superman so- Four episode, I think, right? Like, right. like you brought yeah. that. It's like this is the this is it. This is Masters of the Universe right. time, right? Yeah. And like, like Thor Ragnarok is like that's the aesthetic that you want. Exactly, yes. they're ready for it. They're ready for that goofiness and like Absolutely. that colorful and all that sort of shit. And then everything I've heard about this new movie is similarly hedging its best bets and kind of embarrassed to be he-man <sighs> in the same kind of way that makes no fucking sense to me but the thing i heard is that without citing my sources here that they uh, uh what was the thing they didn't want i'm trying to get this right there was this whole thing where they were like uh uh th- they don't want prince adam to be a prince or they don't want him to be a kid right. because they don't think it's relatable in that sort of way. And it was this thing where, like, I was talking to someone who was telling me about the insane studio notes he had heard about the film. And it's one of those things where you're like, he's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like, he's like the most tested hero's journey kind of like kid who wishes he had the power to change something, you know, feels kind of stuck, is tied into this larger legacy and the sins of his father and all this sort of shit. Not to and, mention- And, like, figures out how to fight for good. As yeah. you said, it's already been focused grouped. Like, right. it literally they know it only exists as a product right. of every- fo- it's, 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 it's the closest other canon film as- uh, right. Mannequin is when we talk about how Mannequin yes. was like from a guy who just did focus groups. It's just like, all right, we're just yeah. piecing together. This is what people like. This and this. It's, it's truly a year and a half of people, like therapists and Mattel executives and children at malls, being like, "What? What? If you could do anything, what would it be?" Right. And then jotting down notes, right. like, "What are your favorite colors?" Like everything there is like there for a reason. It's not creative. It's because it triggers serotonin yes. in children's brains. And the fact that people are still trying to note this shit 30 years after the movie that everyone agrees was disappointing to children because it avoided <laughs> right. this stuff makes no fucking sense to me. Uh, but but it is, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you get into this thing where they're like, well, they won't be able... That's that's what it was. That's what it was. It was like they they didn't want a movie. This was the studio note. 
They didn't want a movie that took place predominantly on Eternia because they don't think that children will be able to relate to a kid in space. Yeah, we already... That was that was the we... note. They wanted to keep him as the prince and all of that, but they were like, the space thing doesn't really work. He kind of has to be on Earth. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It definitely worked the first time <laughs> in 1987. <laughs> and also... Yeah, like, also fucking Star that's Wars! That's the other part, too. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Kids really hate space. If there's space one prince. thing kids have always despised, space. Space Prince is one of the most foolproof ways to build a children's property. Absolutely. Not, not yeah. like Earth Earth Prince? Like what, yeah, what kid is like, Earth oh prince. man, I'm really following these princes on yeah, Earth. Nerds who like right, Prince Valiant only. And we're just like, right. all right, I really <laughs> appreciate how factually based it is. Like you're just like, get out of right, here. Right, followed closely by Space Princess. Yes. Like what, what the fuck are you doing here? And so to just be like, in this movie, it's just like He-Man is just an action figure, but the wrong kind of action mm -hmm. figure. He has no defining traits. He has no interior life. You don't really understand what's in it for him. He's just muscle. Like, he's just muscle. And crazily, like, only muscle visually. Like, it, he, he doesn't do anything quote-unquote strong no. because he's the most powerful no. man in the universe until he pushes no. over that statue. Again, like... Two yeah, minutes yeah. before he finally says, I have the power, the catchphrase that already they've taken away from the 11-year-old watching this because the fucking the director again was like, nah, don't have Prince Adam. Like, let him right. just be. Let him just be sweaty and dirty the right. whole time. And you have this, like, the key, the key group is, like, he-Man, Tila, Man-at-Arms, Cringer slash Battlecat, Orko, right? Like, that's the main circle with the sorceress as, like, the keeper of the power, yes. the one they, like, communicate with on a higher realm. But this idea that it's, like, he's got these dual identities and some people know about it and some people don't. And, like, Orko's in on it, tries his best, fuck things up. He's the comic relief. Tila is, like, right hand. Like, she's kind of the best fighter, the best warrior. Mm -hmm. But she's kept in the dark about the secret. So she has relationships with he-Man and Prince Adam not knowing they're the same. Her father is Man-at-Arms who does keep that secret and he's the right-hand man to Prince Adam's father, the king. And it's like all these weird levels of intrigue and who knows what and all this sort of stuff that like are, create pretty interesting, like potent character dynamics and relationships for a child. All that jettison, Man-at-Arms and Tila are just exposition. Yep, they're just yep. the heroes who explain the shit to the two Earth kids that none of us give a fuck about. And, and to the point yeah. of explaining, uh, at one point when Gwildor steals barbecue <laughs> and then made me weirdly even more confused because I was like, wait a second. Are you positing that possibly Eternia is a vegetarian planet uh, and yeah. that oh, yeah. at one point, Man-at-Arms ate animals <laughs> because he's aware that it's a rib bone not just a weird white stick that they put some fake right. meat on, which again, is it Soylent Greeny or is it just they like, no. <laughs> but then we're like, why are you doing this to us? Why? Because they want that joke of like how barbaric, yes. which I think Gary Goddard probably thought was fucking hilarious in between, you know, child porn magazine deliveries. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of like, oh, here's like a barbarian property and we're making a joke about Earth right. being barbaric. But, but you speak to like just how, sort of like lacking in any internal logic man at arms is that it's like, here's this guy who's supposed to be like the confident confidant, the weaponer, you mm -hmm. know, he's like, he builds technology. 
He's like a good fighter. He's like a protector of like He-Man and Tila as like his surrogate son and his real daughter, like all this shit. And instead it's just, he does exposition on both sides of the coin. Yeah. He explains attorney rules to the humans and he explains human rules to the Eternian characters. Yep. And it's like, he shouldn't have to do either. We don't say goodbye, <laughs> Griffin. We say good voyage. Okay. It's kind of something. Good journey. Different. Good journey. Good journey. I mean, yeah, he yeah. exists. Man at Arms exists to every once in a while go, it's point sixty one chromons till moonrise. <laughs> and you're like, right. oh, right. You're reminding me that they have a different way of judging how time works. It's a shit. Right. right. And like Tila is kind of just the like boys will be boys character mm-hmm. who occasionally does something slightly cool, yep. like shooting the speaker. Yes. Right. But uh, mostly it's just a pretty lady holding a gun looking intense. Right. And, and, and she does. Is just she does do around. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, she, well, does, do she does have a one line too where she gets to look into the camera down the barrel and say woman in arms, which would fucking uh, set the internet on fire if it were today. Yes. <laughs> How dare that? It's such yeah. a way, but it's so off putting that she's looking yes. like it's just so crazy. <laughs> right. And it's just this thing of like, it feels like the movie is about skeletor wanting to take control of earth but it's entirely a series of accidents that lead to that being the objective like the movie is so lacking in kind of narrative purpose where it's just like some guy hit the wrong buttons at the wrong time and then everyone decides i don't know why don't we fight over like the suburbs if you really broke down like the bare bones of what it is is uh gwildor is a lock guy who makes this weird synth key that they lose three times and right. that's kind of it. It's just like, go to Earth, get the key. Did you get it? You didn't. Go back, get the other key. Right. Did you get it? Still kind of got messed up. Like, we're back, baby. Like, and it's just like, Gwildor, okay, that's it. Gwildor's right. like a MacGuffin who invented a MacGuffin. <laughs> yes, and, exactly. But also, his, like, his MacGuffin he's created is a distraction from the thing we want the movie to be about. Yes. He's like, I'm some guy you've never met before. <laughs> I created a thing that takes us away from the world that you want to be living on. Yes. <laughs> so he's like an escape hatch from the movies and the characters we want to see. Which I'll give the movie to. At the beginning, I forgot. I was like, this looks pretty good. Like, the the even... I thought the same thing. The drawing... I think the opening looks The drawing cool. of Castle yes. Grayskull looks like the first edition figure cartoon. Yeah. Like, the first edition uh, oh, yeah. comics that came in. Where they were, yes. drew them a little yeah. bit darker. They weren't as goofy. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, this looks good. And, like, the, the aesthetic of it is all pretty good, except for when they have to move I their I think mask. the first yep. 20 minutes, I really enjoy, if I can just accept it as its own thing, as just, like, this is a cool visual sci-fi sure. thing. It also feels like Gary Goddard, uh, you know, knows production value, mm-hmm. knows how to build fucking immersive environments and also how to entrap children. But uh, he, Ugh. like, it's like they spent all the money on that shit. Mm-hmm. Like the Skeletor, like, palace set is unbelievable. Yes. Those matte paintings early on are great. And even if it looks a little cheap, I'm like, I greatly prefer them in the desert, yeah. you know, shooting at shit. And the second they're in, like, a fucking strip mall... I'm just like, it's this weird, um, uh, the Garbage Pail Kids movie, which I'm similarly fascinated with. It's a fascinating movie. Uh, Again, as a kid who loved Garbage Pails when I was a kid, and when I finally saw it, was mortified. Uh, Same here. Right, like, what what the fuck is this? But 
but this very bizarre thing of like taking this thing that's like aesthetically designed to please children and translating it in the way that's kind of the least appealing and then placing most of it in the suburbs at night. Like it's this bizarre thing that both Masters of the Universe and uh, the Guardfell Kids movie seemingly take place at 2 a.m. I forgot. And I it did just, not yeah. even think about that. And it's clearly, I, you think they just did, could only get permits? For that, like, I don't know. I also feel like that was a trope in the '80s, where it was like always small towns. It was always yeah. like suburban towns yeah. that were like even like critters or even like something like it was always like country houses and suburbs, and it right. kind of had like a country feel, but then also suburban feel. And that most of the action did take place at like two in the it, morning. It, we've talked about right. it too. It's like why I also like at, midway through was like, is this shot in Pasadena? Because now that I live in Pasadena, I keep oh, being right. reminded that I'm just like, oh right, I find like I'm home here because every right. movie growing up that was our neighborhood um, sure. essentially see that that's the thing I think it's long tail bad execution misunderstanding of what worked with like that early 80s Amblin run. Mm-hmm. like what I think this is the long tail effect of like E.T. and Gremlins as the best possible example but Gremlins yep. is very much activating onto like the menace of what happens at night in a small town, right. you know? And E.T. is also like the mystery, the thing that feels scary. But then the fucking sun comes up like it has an emotional tapestry and whatever. Yep. And those two movies and there are tons of other examples as well where it's like we want it to be like two random kids. Like, you know, it's it's vaguely the like Zach Allegan and Phoebe Cates model of Gremlins. You know, mm-hmm. like one kid with like the tragic loss of parents or divorce mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And the other kid who's got the big dream of getting out of this town. Right. Uh, Last Starfighter has a similar kind of patina. Uh, but I think it's the better version of it because then it puts you in the world you want to be in. Absolutely. Um, but but I just feel like this and Guardfell Kids in particular, and a lot of it's tied, I think, also to like the lack of budget maybe to execute the full vision of both of those yeah. worlds. They both end up feeling just really seedy to mm-hmm. me. Like there's something kind of like this feels like some weird like subculture like that I don't want to be part of when you see these <laughs> characters like in a strip mall. At yeah, night. Garbage Pail Kids especially. But there is an element of this. And it's again, like Frank, we brought this up in the pocket. Like it, it hasn't it. There is a grossness to it sometimes that is yeah. like. Frank Hanelot or horror films like Basket Case and like Street yes. Trash, like yeah. the kind of the melt movies as well that always, even as a like as an adult, as a kid, they all kind of gross me out and not in a fun way. There yes. is just something no, like, no. and definitely Garbage Pail Kids like makes me nauseous. Like there's something in the design, um, which yes, reminds totally. me of Basket Case too. Like it's just like, yeah. um, they, they weirdly are cribbing too much from the effective sort of trashy horror yeah. movies of the 80s. Which again, missing their market, missing what totally. this is, who this, because even the fact like they swear. And I was just like, okay, right. I guess we're saying holy shit now. I was about to now. say, yeah. And then people right. are dying. I was like, nobody dies. It's G.I. Joe. People don't die. Like, right. especially at 1987, it's not like, oh, uh, you know, as a as not a fan of the Transformers films, but I remember distinctly, and obviously it's almost a cliche now of like, let's make it dark. But that first trailer for the first Transformers movie, I remember seeing it in a theater and being like, oh, like it was just the Mars rover driving around and all of a sudden, like yeah. darkly, like a fucking Decepticon leg like comes down in front of it. And I was like, right. oh yeah, make the Transformers like a fucked up dark movie. And then it wasn't, but 
you know, if you're going to go all the way, go all the way. But that's, again, where, like, I have the power was shocking that it happened so late. But even the fact that, like, you're, like, an hour 15 in and all of a sudden someone's like, holy shit. Uh, The guy from Top Gun and uh, who acts with his mouth so much. He... It's yeah. just oh, yeah. like smacking and flipping and flopping nonstop yeah. that time. Man, he had the market on that type of like, he was the best character actor at that time if you wanted a hard ass, you know, if, yes. Strickland from Back to the Future. Yeah. Right. You if know? you want someone who. And you had to give him a shotgun yeah, too. Yeah. If, if you want someone who's always looks like he's got a cigar chomping in his mouth, even when he doesn't, right. he was going to be your yeah. guy for that. We just did uh, uh, Back to the Future on blank check. So I was like deep diving into watching and reading everything I could about the, you know, Creation, the origins of that movie, and and Zemeckis cast him because he liked him as like one of the hard ass cops in Prince of the City, oh. which is like a very brutal, dark Sidney Lumet early eighties yeah. crime movie, and yeah. it feels like he was like, wouldn't it be funny to cast as the principal a guy who is usually in that type of film, so that he feels like the sort of intense fear you feel at your principal when you're a child. And then he just sort of is like, I'll let I'll license my intensity out to other people. (laughs) Like, I'll be the fucking guy. Like, I'll be bringing you like hard boiled 80s seedy New York energy in your fucking toy. If you can't get lotion, if you can't rubber lotion here, because his actually his his might be a little bit higher than mine. Uh, Get me and my cigar in there because I'm going to be doing it. Right. But he just totally leaves the like 80s crime world and is just like, I'm I'm for license. You you, you just I'm edge. Yeah. <laughs> he also has the best one-liners too yes, in the movie too. He does. Yes. They stuck with me. Those were like, you know, it is like when you rewatch a movie from your childhood and like I was like, "Oh wow, that was weirdly ingrained in my brain." Like his reactions to certain things. I was like, I just kind of yeah. know that. But also, yeah. You know, uh, the end with him with James Tolkien where it's like he decides to stay in Eternia. And yeah. like it, it feels extra creepy to me to because he's that. But even as a kid, I don't think it's revisionist history that I was just like, wait a second, where did this woman come from? Yes, I am so yes. worried that yes. the sorceress yes. was like, don't worry, like I'll get you a chick, and it's just like, ew, right. grody. Yeah, yeah. How long were they there that that relationships like bloomed like five hours like, happened? Like enough right. that so, whole ending. And, well, I was just say, and because he's like, well, what am I going to go back to Earth? I got a, a beautiful castle. I got a beautiful wife. And even that, I was like, wait a second. You're going to live in Castle Grayskull? You get yeah. one of yeah. the towers where I used to hide weapons when I was a kid? Right. <laughs> like, get out of here. You haven't done enough for this battle to earn not only a woman slave is how I'm reading yes. it, which is extra creepy yeah. when you think about who the director is. Like, mm-hmm. that, it's again, like... I don't know if there were enough, like when you watch Powder and you're just like, boo, oh no. But like, there definitely are moments in this where like that moment and then like even He-Man getting whipped where I was just like, okay. Like it's, you know, there's yeah. something yes. going on there. Like, um, I mean, down to how they treated that poor kid who was in the pig boy costume uh, who won that know? Marvel or I was Mar- that say. Mattel okay. contest. Yes. yes. That's one of the wildest stories. Give me that because I don't boy think was I a only contest. Vaguely. Winner. They had a contest that was you get to be in the live action He-Man movie. And the prize he won was eight hours in a makeup chair. (laughs) 
to be like fucking shit on by Skeletor. Like, yep. fuck you, pig boy. <laughs> you want a contest? Now let's shove some straws up your nose and put you in. Right. Just knowing the Gary Goddard stuff, something about pig boy is very dark <laughs> yeah. to me. It's very dark. Pig boy yeah. ain't sitting yes. well with any of us. <laughs> With any of us. Everything about Pig Boy is uncomfortable, especially because also, like, you have Billy Barty. You have an old man, little person in this movie, and then Pig Boy comes on screen. You're like, that's not this. This is a child. I don't understand why a child would be in this makeup. Doesn't that go against labor laws? And then you're like, this was a prize? Worst prize ever. I also at least put him on Earth going like, go get him, Heat Man. That's the the obvious thing. Yes. I also, I also, yeah, go on. no, no, no were you gonna well, say the that? only thing I was going to say is like, I'm just like thinking of like the, the themes and everything they tried to jam in here because I forgot too that it uh, two, maybe three times they use like the term tasteless and like classless. Like uh-huh. Skeletor was just like this tasteless planet. Like, and then I sure. think Evil Lynn said, like, you're a classless person or something. And I was just like, No, she says, Oh, do you? Yeah, she goes, Outnumbered, more like out. That's what it was. And I was just like, Wait, what is this new element you're bringing in? Like, there's this weird classism. Like, again, nothing to do with the lore no. and making it more confusing for, again, young Jeff and old Jeff, who's just like, What is this battle you're having here? It's the slobs versus the snobs. Like, this is just attorney. And also, on another level, now that I just mentioned attorney, they keep referring to them as the attorneyans. And then I kept being like, wait, but attorney is the planet. You are an attorneyan. Stop calling them attorneyan. This logic is killing me. (laughs) It's like calling them earthians. Yes. And then it would be like you calling me an earthian. And then I'm like, yeah, all right. In a derogatory yeah, you way. You know what, Griffin? One, fuck you. Two, you're an yeah. Earthian. And three, it's not a word. It doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> right. Right. It's it's also like you bring up Lubick, like the Tolkien thing and how those one liners and that ending like sticks in your brain. And I feel like I hear that so much as someone who spent too much time on like He-Man message boards <laughs> and the like. That, like, that's one of the characters that really stuck with kids. And I think it's because he is one of the only characters who seems to enjoy being in this movie. Like, once he takes the turn and is like, man, I like all this weird fucked up shit. You're like, yes, thank God someone seems to enjoy this. Like, Skeletor, like, Langella's clearly enjoying his performance. And then Lubick is the only character who seems to enjoy what's going on. And, like, the Courtney Cox and her boyfriend plotline is so bizarre because it does not dovetail thematically with anything else. Like, them meeting these characters doesn't really unlock anything in their journeys other than somehow bringing her dead parents back to life. But also, like, the Eternians have no emotional arcs. So it's just, like, you have 30 minutes of just sort of, like, mythos. Then you land on Earth. Then it's just, here's a girl in a small town who's about to move the night after she graduates, you know, before the final dance or whatever, right? Right after her last Uh, shift at Johnny's BBQ or whatever. Uh, Right. She's doing everything one last time and then abruptly getting the fuck out of Dodge. And where is she going? Her parents died. Do you know where she's going? Jersey. Jersey. Okay. What? Like, immediately, I'm just like, what are you going to Jersey? Like, what is going on? But go on, yeah. But that's... 
perfect for the movie because yes. that's that's exactly the kind of thing of like the bar that they're they're it's like you can't even have your character a place that we're not even going to see whatsoever for her to move to like new york city mm-hmm. or somewhere like that that's exciting it's like no new jersey right. i'm going to team also- getting that wrong <laughs> yes there's also no like i i want to do this i've always dreamed of being this she's just yes. like i fucking hate everything i want to move out of her and her boyfriend's kind of a wet blanket who's like well, I don't know. It feels like we have a pretty good relationship, but I guess if you're just going to torpedo everything and leave, uh, um, yeah, cool with me. I'm here for you. Let's make the best of but it. But also, do they have as good relationship? Because the last night they are together, he's like, yeah, but I mean, I also yeah. found this synth. Can I go over to Charlie's? Right. Just hang out with him right. for a while. <laughs> right. And they're not doing this sort of like, you know, it's one of these weird movies where you're like angry that they're not doing the most cliched thing, which is like, Charlie wants to be a musician, but has no ambitions of leaving this town. And she dreams of something bigger. And the ending would be somehow meeting these characters. Would exactly. Teach yeah. them how to pursue their life and find the compatibility and stay together. Whatever the fuck it is. Help her get over her parents' death. Any of this shit. No. Instead, it's just like they get caught up in this shit. It's a hassle. A waste of their last night. When they should be fucking because they're teenagers who are never going to see you. each other again. Right. And then it's just like magically her parents come back from the dead. And I guess she doesn't move to New Jersey and now she stays no. at home. And with her also parents maybe creates some sort of time rift because he understands that they went to Eternia, but also now right. has to live his life with that knowledge up until the point of the night she should leave when he just played yep. a great right. gig the night before and Charlie's just in his pants about how good he was. And he's just a high school band. Uh, uh, And yeah, so it gets so like wrapped up. And also I forgot that they shove another mythos of what you were just talking about there, because obviously that's what we always end up doing on this is either us or the guest. In this case, you wrote a better movie like they fucking (laughs) there's one part where Gwildor realizes he's a musician, doesn't seem to understand that keyboards exist just yet, but starts saying you must understand like the music is the thing that drives the universe. And then I think they right. just kind of fade out or move to a new scene. Like they were like, yes. you know what? Eh, that's good enough. And then they vaguely get right. into it later, but it should be more of a connection of like, you're the, you are the locksmith of this world because you are a musician and you have the keys to tones. But instead it's just like all of a sudden they're like, Oh, if we only had someone who could remember the five notes that kind of sound like close encounters of a third kind. And then it's like, I got it. Nothing, nothing connects to anything else thematically. And also like any action that any character does could be done by any character, you know, like what happens and who does it has no correlation to who they are, what they're good at and what they care about. And it is just that thing of like, right. There should be, if you've set up all these pieces where it's like, here's the interdimensional travel device for some bizarre coincidence. It's also a musical instrument, which is why the MacGuffin is valuable to two random kids because he (laughs) thinks he could make money off of it or write songs on it, but also that means he's the only one who can save them because he's got such a good ear that he can remember the world's most basic tune, which apparently Gwildor can't do, and he's built this (laughs) thing that he doesn't know how to operate, so he just randomly hits things and lets whatever happen. Like, all this shit, but it's, it's like you want some sort of, like, Bill and Ted face the music. Oh, the way to defeat Skeletor is to write the greatest song of all time. Like, you want this to end with a rock concert if that's at least what they've set up. And the movie doesn't even make good on its own shit 
which is the shit it shouldn't be doing and is taking away from the stuff you want to see. But then it's He-Man. like the movie remembered that it was like, oh, fuck, yes. we didn't call it He-Man the Master of the Universe, but this is ostensibly about He-Man. I guess we should yes. have him fight like He-Man does, and we'll just have everyone right. keep up. We'll just have everyone just imagine, because right. up until that, it's like we've talked about throughout this whole thing. It's a bunch of, like, besides, you know, most people are getting the job done in this movie, and Langella's killing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, He-Man's walking around just saying, I don't want innocent people to die. Like, and you're just like, okay, I guess <laughs> like, that's a character drive. And then I also well, swear yeah. Man-at-Arms at one point said, in half a cronut, <laughs> we will. And I was like, Man-at-Arms, what yes. are you doing? And and then Lubick, why he sticks out is what you said, is because you, uh, we, I think even as kids, we hoped he would be more part of it besides the fact that he seems to get some sort of slave at the end. But because he's the one right. I forgot that, like, I wrote down, he yells out, nobody takes pot shots at Lubick. OK, freaks, yeah. you want to play? And they start shooting a shotgun. But like, but you're like, at, at least Lubick seems to have a yes. thing. Right. He's got a game at least. OK, I get it. He doesn't take golf. Exactly. Yep. But that's more than. As you said, any, anyone who's just, it is a series of delivering lies, and especially when you have any preconceived notion. But also, throughout, I kept just being like, I would love to like almost do a blind screening of this to someone who has no connection. Yeah. And just see, and just after, yeah. just be like, so what did you get out of that? How do you, like, what, right. do, beyond that, they told us. Like, because that it does that kind of classic move, which is like, we have been in a battle all of time because I am telling you we have been in a battle all of time. I will not prove it. Right. I shall not prove right. this at all in the mythos. But like, how I, I can't fathom that anyone, besides just piecing it together from all of the tropes they've stolen from everywhere else, would even just at the end still just be like, so uh, even the simple question of being, who do you think was the main character when the movie's over? And they might just right. be like, I don't, I mean, Gwildor, even over Courtney yeah. Cox. Uh, yeah, it's like, I would argue it's Cox, it is Cox. then Gwildor, then Skeletor. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then He-Man is like below Evil Lynn. He-Man might yes. be below yep. Crag or whatever the fuck that guy's name is. <laughs> Karg's got Karg, screen yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. how much screen time Karg has. And you're just, again, yes. every time he talks, you're just like, Sarad, you left me so soon. Right, give me... Give me Blade. Give me more Blade. He's yeah. there. Okay. So yeah. Fucking Blade at one point says, I've been waiting for a long time for this. All those lines I always kept writing down like, have you? Maybe. I guess I'll yeah. just we'll accept be- it. Yeah, because the un- the thing that they don't tell in the movie is that the history is that's, that I almost said Superman. He-Man uh-huh. took out his eye in battle. Would love Jeez. to know that. And that's his revenge. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. But they thought he would be fucking Boba Fett. Like, he thought it was just right, like, but, we can right. just have him be in one seat, whatever. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. But just imagine, right, you have the Boba Fett setup of, like, let's get the four most dangerous bounty hunters we yep. can. You introduce them. They look cool, right? As a kid, you get excited. Just give Blade one fucking line where he's like, He-Man took my eye. It's personal for you, for me. Close yeah. up on Blade. You know, push in on the camera. I'll get the guy. You know, or whatever it is. And you're like, Cool. Blade's the Boba Fett. He's the one I'm keeping my eye on. No pun yep. intended. I know he's the one who's <laughs> going to do anything he can to get fucking He-Man. The final showdown between the two of them is going to Griffin, rule. we call it the Steve James on this because Steve James from American uh-huh. Ninja, like he clearly has a couple lines that were just like, hey, we need this one sentence to pull these scenes together. 
uh, sure. it's always fine. And you found the Steve James. Because like then I would have just been like, great. Okay. Cool. I'm on board. Yep. Looking forward to it. Something to look forward to yeah. in this movie. Rather than like Skeletor just coming in with a bunch of Heverdis and being like, I want this street. <laughs> You know, <laughs> his giant floating fan boat, yeah. like he's gonna fly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This will do Meadow Street. <laughs> uh, it's just, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a mess. I think that's just ultimately like yeah. it, when it mess. all boils down to it, it ends up being a bummer because it doesn't. I can't see why it didn't work is because I can't see that it would satisfy anyone. And and it's no, it's not made for and anyone. It's frustrating that no one saw it, even though it's canon. Even right. though it's canon, they will burn yes. through productions. Clearly, they were fighting against 11 other canon films, not 11 other sure. films in the world. They made 11 yes. films and they still like it, it, you just needed like one person to be like, dude, we don't know the new gods enough. So, like, I can't right. fill in the blanks that Blade is equivalent to a character I don't know because you're talking about a smaller, lesser new Jack Kirby property. Also, like, saying, like, I want to base it off the new gods, like, at that point in time was, like, new gods was the pretentious superhero yeah. comic you could drop of, like, do you know, like, this, this title actually wasn't very, like, popular, but, like, real ones know that it was actually really smart and interesting. Yeah. It's so sort of, like... You know, it's it's like Schumacher saying, like, ultimately, I was going to get to Dark Knight yeah. Returns. Yeah. You know, it's that like, no, but the thing I was basing it off of was the one comic taken seriously by adults at the time. But you're like, but it's the wrong thing. And it's not even good as an, a New Gods movie because a New Gods movie wouldn't take place in the fucking yeah. suburbs. Yep. And if it did, it would be equally shitty and disappointing. <laughs> right. And I think about like, even if they're pro like you, every version of this movie is is. It, it's the wrong approach to every possible take they could have had for how to adopt this property, even in the sense if they're like, look, it's a toy line. We want to sh shy away from the silliness. We want to make it something that's more badass and hard edged and whatever. It's like there's a version of this that is Dragon Slayer, yeah. where you tone down a lot of the action figure shit and you're like you transpose He-Man and you just take the sort of barbarian like hard high fantasy stuff and you make it more violent and more swords and sandals and you take away all the emotionality and the mythos and the silliness and whatever like that's fine or you do the one that's ridiculous or whatever and then i even think about like the first thor movie which i do not like has ostensibly the exact same plot as this <laughs> yep. yeah where they spend most of it stuck in a random american yeah. town yeah but that one is at least focused on the fish out of water yeah. comedy which I yep. don't think they execute particularly well. I don't love that movie, but at least that's their choice they made. That it's like, especially if you have a guy that looks like fucking Dolph Lundgren and can barely speak English, there's a lot of comedy you could get out of him walking into a fucking 7-Eleven. Right. And yeah. no one sort of acknowledges like, this dude is striking. Yeah. He does not yeah. fit into this world. And they just doubled down on like Gwildor's fascination with fried chicken. So much fried chicken, and so and then so many scenes of Gwildor says something silly, and in almost I was like, is this your only nod? One of your only nods to the actual cartoon where Gwildor essentially delivers an Orko line, and then they are like, ah, yeah. ah, 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 like put their hands on their sides and just laugh their asses off about him blowing fucking water out of his ears or fucking wearing human yeah. clothes, uh, and that ends up being the thing too. It's just like. Yeah, like it, it, the 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 mashup 
the girl talk of it all that of they they took sure. all this originally and that it's just like boys like this and boys like this when you don't kind of do it even close to what it is originally it makes it even more striking that you're just like why is he man dressed like that like in this movie like you could have more fish out of water stuff with it because you're just like no like literally everyone else is wearing like more clothes than you've ever seen in your entire life and you right. are butt yeah. naked like wearing the right. only person yeah. wearing barbarian clothes, like except for the Beast Man, who you can't tell because he's just doing essentially a, a recreation of the Monster Squad uh, werewolf movements to me. Right. right. On its face, that seems like the only reason to set this movie on mm-hmm. Earth is so that you can get fed a fish out of water comedy. And instead, oh, yeah. all you get is Gwildor doesn't understand a thing comedy. But like, yeah. there should be so many scenes of like, like, even what the Garbage Pail Kids movie gets yeah. right. I can't believe I'm saying this, you know? But, like, the Garbage Pail Kids movie has, like, once again, odd choice for a kid's film, all of them going to a biker yes. bar. And the comedy of, like, Alligator is totally accepted by the bikers. They love <laughs> it. Right. Toes you know? and they don't care because they're bikers. Right, yeah. like, right. If you're going to take the thing and put it in our fucking boring-ass yeah. world, at least make it, like, the comedy of, who likes them and who doesn't? When do they stick out? What do they respond yeah. strongly to? And instead, it's sort of like they're kind of a secret and no one really clocks them other than Lubick. And he's the only guy who is like, this shit's crazy, yeah, these right? freaks yeah. over here. Like, instead, yeah, it's it's no one seeing Gwildor drinking barbecue yes. sauce. Which you're just like, right. okay. So, it's, like- so literally, it's not even a fish out of water because no one's completely... Yeah. The people from Eternia are disgusted by yeah. you. So you didn't need to even get out of the water, baby. <laughs> like they they put him in old lady drag, but they don't even do the like comic scene of pretending it's their grandmother yes. or something. And so yeah. they just go, what the fuck is that? And then he just has hair <laughs> clips it. for the rest of the movie. Uh, at the very least, just put He-Man in annoyed shirt. Yes. You know, he just like, Jesus, <laughs> pull it all together there. Oh my God. Right, that's what you want. You want the Asta La Vista baby moment where at the end, right before he kills Skeletor, he says, like, guess you should have avoided the noise. <laughs> you want the thing right, yeah. where he recites the thing he learned from 80s Americana. Exactly. Fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger in Twins putting on the, like, born to be bats. And fucking, he's never had a first right. t-shirt. <laughs> like, sort of thing. Is, is Twins the same year as oh, this? Oh, no. I think, I, I want to say Or is it twi- earlier? No, I think it was later. I think it was probably the say. year after. Yeah. Okay. Because I was just going to say, it's like, Schwarzenegger so got... If I'm in a movie, it has to be either Jesus Christ, why does this guy look mm-hmm. like that in a horror way or in a comedy fish yeah. out of water way? Yeah. yeah. You know, he didn't try to play every man too many no. times. And even this, like Dolph Lundgren's one of those people where you're just like, God, I can't believe someone looks yeah. like this. Like, not even just how buff he is and how big he is, but it's just like that face is so perfectly yeah. symmetrical. His hair is so feathered. Everyone needs to be astonished every time he appears on screen. <laughs> yes. But there's also... Either in awe or like fish out of water. Instead, there's yeah, like, hey, there he is. And, you know, I think also in summary, that is why uh, Stallone came on set and said, you gave this guy lines. <laughs> Which is an anecdote that is so bold yeah. and also totally makes sense and is also 100% true. Right. And, and especially to repeat myself, 
when the fucking model is there for him to be the Lou Ferrigno to this incredible yes. Hulk, where it's yep. like, cast some young actor to fucking play Prince Adam, and then you activate Lundgren just for fight yeah. scenes. It's... yeah. I, you know, I, I think at this point we should uh, start to wrap up anyways here. But yeah. like, I, I think we, we've 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 hit the nail on the head with this fucking movie. <laughs> so many like we figured <laughs> right. it out. Uh, I wish any of them had figured it out at any point. Uh, it's and there's still an enjoyableness to it in a weird way. But it's not. Uh, yeah, I yeah. enjoy it as its own weird artifact. Yes. There are elements I like. There are performances that are fun. Langella rules in it. He always talks Absolutely. about it being one of his favorite. Characters I love he's ever gotten yeah. to play anywhere on stage or screen and that he wishes he had gotten to play him again uh and their design elements yeah. i like you know um can can i hard sell the the netflix show that i'm a part of for a second as a Please, yes. what this does and it's a year away i you know who knows it's not finished uh but but there's I, a pandemic I just if you the... haven't heard life happens right <laughs> right but i'll say like all my Audio is in the can. I believe all recordings have been done and they're pretty deep into animation, which will just take a while. Ooh, little exclusives uh, but I've, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I've, I've read all the scripts and I fucking love it. And if I didn't, I would not say anything, yes. especially on an episode <laughs> yes. like this. And I fought for the role just because I was like, I want to play Orko. I want to play Orko. I want to play Orko. And that had that moment when I got the email where I was like, what if this sucks? Like, what yeah. if this is diarrhea? And now I'm playing Orko in a thing that also gets this wrong, especially because it's like when you hear Kevin Smith is the showrunner, that's such an incongruous element. Like, how do you end up there? But the thing that I think is very cool about it conceptually is it's like straight continuation from the the 80s cartoon from the filmation cartoon which was not very serialized or mythology right. heavy in that sort of running way but it literally starts out like similar aesthetics similar tones like all the performances trying to pitch the actors to be as close to those original voices yeah. and then it kind of evolves into something else it like turns into the show you imagined when you were a kid watching it yeah, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense it's like versus Frank, as you say, like going back and rewatching episodes and you're like, oh, this is weird. I remember this feeling very epic and high stakes. Yeah. The goal is that it sort of starts out closer to how the thing looks and feels objectively. And then that central sort of like dynamic I was talking about without spoiling anything of like the weird dual identity of He-Man and who knows about that, who doesn't, all those relationships are like the crux of what unlocks the story of all these weird power imbalances mm -hmm and dynamics that then goes into slightly more adult territory while also being hyper aware that it's really fucking silly and it should be fun. Like, that's the thing I love about it is that it's like they put in like as many fucking vehicles as they yep. could, like all the silly toys doing the things you remember them doing, but just putting it in well animated action sequences and taking the characters like a little bit seriously in terms of them having internal motivations but not treating it like it's a sacrosanct. Yeah. Well, that makes me excited then because that also sounds yeah. like one, it honors it, and two, is the exact totally. opposite of everything we talked. Like literally, it's like yes. bizarro yes. worlds version of That's what this is. That's why I bring yeah. it up. Like I'm just like fingers crossed. I I hope this, you know, once it's finished pans out the way it seems to be trending, but everything that I've been able to see or read from being involved in it is like, oh, this is actually the thing I want That's to see. That's very exciting. 
I'm very um, excited to which see is it. Very excited. Uh, so to yeah. do our final kind of wrap up here, uh, we wrap this up by giving uh, giving Masters of the Universe uh, what is your canon score, and that doesn't mean do you like it, do you not like it. In the terms of yeah. one to ten canons, how canon is this in the terms of canon films? <laughs> oh, man, that's a great question. In in a certain way, I think it's like so canon while also being a little bit of an outlier Mm -hmm. it's like the most canon in that it's like a glimpse into an alternate universe where canon makes this transition to getting to make those marvel movies you know Mm -hmm. getting to build out higher level franchises trying to make films that are a little more four quadrant and like kid driven um which i think probably would have followed in this mold maybe they would have made some better ones and some more successful (laughs) ones but it's like this is very indicative of how canon approached things, uh, but that's also all of its problems. It's a bad property for canon to yeah. take on. Yeah. Uh, so what number are you giving it then? From one, one to, to ten? ten? I I feel like it's it's a it's a six point five yeah. for me. Six point five is good. Yeah. Frank, what you got? Yeah, I think I'm about a seven. Just because of the element, like it has all the canon elements to it. And especially what you were saying, Griffin, of just kind of stepping into the big leagues with it. It's like you're taking the the idea and the feeling of canon and and their practices and then giving it a bigger budget. And it's still the same (laughs) kind of missteps and the same thing. It's like, here's more money to do it right. And yet still, they just don't do it, you know? And I think that that's that to me does it's 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 it's. It, it's canon putting their sword up and saying, I have the power and beefing <laughs> up and just, you know, like doing more of what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, that, that's where I, that's where yeah, I I'm going to do, I'm going to do a six just to have a different number in some ways. Cause it is what you said. Sure. It's right in the middle. I mean, but it also, it, 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 it both is an outlier and is also so indicative of what it is. And Gets maybe even that extra one uh, point because it not only uh, helped bankrupt them, uh, but also because Dolph Lundgren fits more so than a Dudikoff or a Van Damme into a canon lineage of stiff wooden acting, a.k.a. our our big loves, uh, Molasses 2 by 4 Chuck Norris uh, and Charles Oldman Bronson. Like, you know, they he is he is equivalent of those two in his line deliveries. And so it that it ends up pushing that kind of canonness uh, at the end to me. Well, your your yeah. your metaphor is so good, Frank, because much like how this movie takes away the transformation element from Prince Adam to He-Man. When He-Man does finally say, I have the power, nothing really changes. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really yeah signify anything and this is them doing the same thing they're like watch we're about to change dramatically into universal pictures and it's like no you're still canon canon is that that's (laughs) that's one thing we didn't get to talk about was uh skeletor's transformation which i actually thought i it's so cool the way that he golden god skeletor yeah he at least gets to transform when he gets a power and he yeah. just gets more stuff on him that's shiny he gets more stuff that all you have to do is break his uh break his pole Right. That's it. Break his dick. There's with this his sword. <laughs> really, really yep. sad story that they had this whole epic like sword fight planned out. And knowing that that armor was going to be so heavy, Langella like trained and worked Oof. out so, so he could like 
you know, withstand it. And then they cut it for like time and budget. And he's like, because <laughs> people always, I think, assume like, well, he was an older guy. He's not an action star. He's wearing this heavy right. metal costume. He probably just couldn't do the fight. And he was like, I was so fucking ready <laughs> to sword fight him for 20 minutes. Oh, was, yeah. Like eight days of sword fight. There filming. is one shot where he's on the throne, though, where I was like, a whole time I was like, don't topple over. Don't topple. Looks a little too top heavy, oh, baby. Yeah. Don't do it to me. It's so heavy. Uh, well, yeah. Griffith, this was so fantastic. I, I I could not imagine anyone better, both for this podcast, but also for Masters of the Universe. Like, truly. Care about it a uh, lot. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, I, 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 First, uh, before we take leave, you've already said some of your credits, but where can people find you, Griffin, right now? Yeah, Blank Check with Griffin and David. Uh, anywhere that you can listen to podcasts where we go through filmographies and chart the whole career of their ups and downs. So we're doing Zemeckis now, which will take five <laughs> months. Wow, uh, yeah. But, but has some of the biggest yeah. movies uh, ever made. Um, and then The Tick is still on Amazon, very canceled, but I still tell people to watch it because I'm very proud of it. And uh, Masters great. of the Universe Revelation, thank you, Frank, uh, is coming to Netflix sometime in 2021. It's it's been able to continue production because of uh, animation being sure. easier to do remotely, but I think it's maybe been pushed back a little bit. But it will come out sometime next year, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, and I feel like if you're similarly frustrated to the way that we were watching <laughs> this movie, I think it's kind of what you want to see. The other thing is, it's like, maybe, you know, hopefully, uh, certainly in terms of my employment, I would love for there to be another sure. season. But it's very much designed as like, this is like a 10-part story that feels like this is what a He-Man movie should have been. I, I'm very excited. Um, uh, I legitimately am excited to see it now, especially with your description. Um, as a man who has oof, nothing going on, I hope for you as well <laughs> that you have further employment because I'm looking... Yeah, because I'm also done. Yeah. That's in the can. I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> I've gotten my last scale paycheck yeah, on that man, job. I'm looking down the barrel of a long time doing a Mr. Mom sequel, essentially, uh, so while I do oh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, Griffin, uh, Griff Dog, baby, I'm so excited. Right. We got to Gannett. Yeah, I threw it in. We got to <laughs> and... Gannett. Gannett was a term that I always tried to push when Jeff was directing <laughs> our sketch team when he wanted to do a sketch again. And I said, let's just call it Ganning it. It's cooler. And you pushed back on it every single yep. time. <laughs> it's very fun to fight you sometimes in the best loving way. Gotta, Gotta get it. Gotta um, get it. Uh, but again, Griffin, thank you so much. And My uh, pleasure. to all of our Canon fans, again, thank you for reaching out for us. Thank you for sharing all the things you've been sharing with us. Um, uh, and uh, continue to please like, rate, review, share this with your friends. We want as many people listening to this as always. And Frank, where can people find us on the socials? So Twitter and Instagram, they can find us at the Canon Canon, uh, the second Canon with one N. Remember that. And you can email us at the Canon Canon at gmail.com. Second Canon, one N. Just remember that. And again, I will always give that reminder. If you uh, have any uh, insights on, you know, a Canon film that you're imagining is hard to find. We talked about it at the beginning. Always feel free to send us. Uh, we had a brief moment here where both me and Frank were like, uh oh, we signed up for Master <laughs> of the Universe and we can't find it anywhere uh yeah i had to watch it on youtube where it was missing one of the parts <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i missed 10 minutes of this film that i i know i know but it was still like oh okay exactly. <laughs> um 
And it felt like I was watching an old VHS that I recorded off of Which TV. Which is kind so, of beautiful yeah. and kind of how it should be watched to some extent. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, thank you all for listening. And until next week, my name's Jeff Garlock. And I'm Frank Garcia Hale. And this is The, the Canon. 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 I'll be back.